I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadva. We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3. With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like... Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay to ask a co-worker how much do you make? Should you ask a polyamorous person, do you get jealous? Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hello, I'm Martine Saint-Victor. And I'm Isabelle Racico. Welcome to Seat at the Table. Each week on this show, Martin and I share our opinions on topics we debate and discuss in our daily lives, just like old friends do, and we'll have intimate conversations with guests shaping pop culture and the media. This week is our last show, yeah, for the summer, and it's a jam-packed one. Is there such a thing as Canadian food? Well, we get that answer and much more from celebrity chef Chuck Hughes, who ate his way across Canada and the world, lucky him, in just a span of a year. And Isabelle and I are huge NFL fans. Yep. The regular season starts in just a few days, but the player grabbing the most headlines, guess what? He won't be on the field. We talk about the impact and backlash against Colin Kaepernick with former NBA player and activist Ethan Thomas, as well as Montreal Alouette's defensive end, John Bowman. That's next on Seat at the Table. talking about me about some draft and all of you white boys are breaking your neck to get to Switzerland and Canada and London. Not I'm not going to help nobody get something my Negroes don't have. If I'm going to die, I'll die now right here fighting you. If I'm going to die, you my enemy. My enemy is the white people, not Vietnams or Chinese or Japanese. You my opposer when I'm on freedom. You my opposer when I'm on justice. You my opposer when I'm on equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs and you want me to go somewhere That, of course, is the legendary boxer Muhammad Ali in 1967, laying out in simple and powerful language his reasons for refusing to fight in the Vietnam War. For that dissension, he was sentenced to five years in prison, was stripped of his heavyweight title, denied a license to fight in the U.S., and denied a visa to go fight overseas. A year later, American sprinters Tommy Smith and John Carlos won gold and bronze medals at the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. Standing on the podium as the Star Spangled Banner played, they bowed their heads and each raised a black gloved fist in the air. That image became iconic. I'm supposed to stand up there and look at a flag, put my hand over my heart, saying how proud I am because this flag has represented me. I don't think so, because it did not. But when the national anthem started playing, I was not looking at the ground. I was praying the Lord's Prayer. My head bowed and my fist went up in the air. I wore black gloves to represent social power or black power. I wore socks, not shoes, to represent poverty. I wore a black scarf around my neck to symbolize the lynching, the hangings that black folks went through while building this country. But Smith and Carlos paid a heavy price for that historic gesture. They were booed off the podium, suspended from the U.S. team, and lost their jobs back home. They faced death threats and would never compete for the U.S. again. Fifty years later, former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick has become headline news for refusing to stand during the U.S. national anthem before NFL games. Kaepernick took a knee, as we say, to protest unequal rights and police brutality against black Americans. This stand wasn't for me. 
the stamp wasn't because I feel like I'm being put down in any kind of way. This is because I'm seeing things happen to people that don't have a voice. People that don't have a platform to talk and have their voices heard and affect change. So I'm in a position where I can do that and I'm gonna do that for people that can't. I think there's a lot of consequences that come along with this. There's a lot of people that don't wanna have this conversation. You know, they're scared they might lose their job or they might not get the endorsements. They might not be treated the same way. And those are things I'm prepared to handle. I've been blessed to be able to get this far and have the privilege of being in the NFL and you know, making the kind of money I make and enjoy luxuries like that. But I can't look in the mirror and see other people dying on the street that should have the same opportunities that I've had and say, you know what? I can live with myself because I can't if I just watch. Do you think you might get cut over this? I don't know. But if I do, I know I did what's right. And I can live with that at the end of the day. Like Smith, Carlos, and Ali before him, many say Kaepernick is now paying the price for his activism. Since opting to become a free agent in March, no team has signed him up. And the NFL's regular season starts in just a few days. So we wanted to speak to someone who knows what it's like to take a stand as a professional athlete. Eton Thomas played in the NBA for 11 years, mostly with the Washington Wizards. During that time, he also came out strongly against the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq. He co-hosts the radio show The Collision, Sports and Politics. He's written several books, including an upcoming one titled We Matter, Athletes and Activism. Eton Thomas joins us from Washington, D.C. Welcome, Eton. Oh, how are you doing? And thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So as we said in the intro, many are debating why Kaepernick has yet to be picked up by an NFL team. So what's your take on it? As you mentioned, I just finished a book, uh, We Matter, Athletes and Activism. I was interviewing a lot of different athletes about this very topic. And I think it's pretty much clear what's going on. I mean, he's being punished. Um, I interviewed Dr. John Carlos, who you played before, um, mm-hmm. Leila Ali, who's Muhammad Ali's daughter. Um, I interviewed a lot of his teammates. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something that when we look 40, 50 years later on down the line, he's going to be revered and respected and honored the same way that Muhammad Ali is and John Carlos is. But right now in the present, he's kind of being hated the same way in the present Muhammad Ali was. So everybody loves Muhammad Ali now and they make tributes of him and, you know, they they, they want to build statues and museums Mm -hmm. and everything like that. But back in his heyday, he was hated. He was he was like despised. And then he joined the Nation of Islam and he was friends with Malcolm X. I mean, he was like the most hated Muslim in America before uh, Americans were taught to hate all Muslims. And you kind of just see that pattern kind of going right now. And and it's it's so interesting because athletes have a history of using their positions, their platforms to be able to stand up on different social causes. And they're never respected at that time. You know what I mean? They're a lot, uh, they, yeah. they get a lot of backlash. We interviewed Mahmoud Al-Duarouf and Craig Hodges, and they got talked about the backlash that they received. So that's just something that comes with it. And then years later, decades down the line, people's children are learning about them and learning about their courage. And but do they all know. feel? But do they all feel that it was worth it? From the conversations that I, I've had with them, yes. I mean, they talk about it in the book. I asked uh, Mahmoud Abdurraouf, who, you know, he just finished playing in, a, in Ice Cube's Big Three League this past summer, and he's 48, and everybody can see that he can still play. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so and he didn't play at all 
after that. I mean, he was like, he was blackballed. I mean, that's just kind of what, what has happened. Now, currently, in the current NBA, it's a little bit different. I mean, you have guys, a new wave of young athletes who are using their voices and using their positions and their platforms. So I interviewed Russell Westbrook and Dwayne Wade, and I even interviewed Commissioner um, Adam Silver. And the NBA is just different. There's a different culture. There, you know, you have um, Swin Cash and Tamika Ketchins in the WNBA, and they all wore the Black Lives Matter shirts and after the murder of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. You know, as an entire league, they did it. So it's just a different wave now. Now, the NFL is a little bit different. The culture is a little bit different. I mean, you see more guys using their voice now as a reaction to everything that Kaepernick pretty much started. And I think it's absolutely beautiful to see. I mean, you see certain guys taking a knee during the national anthem. Mm -hmm. Michael Bennett, who I also, you know, interviewed in the book, he's continuing the tradition that Kaepernick started. You see all the different guys from the Cleveland Browns, like 12 of them, um, all was in a circle taking a knee during the national anthem and prayer. And so you see it really happening a lot more. And I think it's great to see. But the NFL as a whole, you see the, the blackballing of Kaepernick right now, and there's no other explanation. You see all the different people who are being signed before him, and not to, you know, I don't want to talk bad about any quarterbacks or anything like that, <laughs> but Kaepernick should be playing. To come back to what you brought up, Ethan, about how the NBA reacts a little bit differently to activism, do you think that because of a, they have a younger commissioner, Do you think that's what maybe can explain the difference in attitude between the NBA and the NFL? The NFL has an older, more old-school commissioner. I interviewed Adam Silver for my book, and I asked him that very question. Mm -hmm. And he said that he respects that athletes have a voice. And, you know, I interviewed different NBA CEOs, Mark Cuban and uh, Ted Leonsis of mm -hmm. the Washington Wizards. Mm -hmm. And they pretty much echoed the same thing. I think the difference is when you have players that are being as actively vocal about different things that happened, you kind of have to go along with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not, not saying that necessarily forces their hand or not saying that they wouldn't have been open to it anyway. But it helps when you have a lot of your star players. So you have LeBron James, who immediately after Eric Garner's murder, mm -hmm. they were all wearing the I Can't Breathe shirts. And, you know, you have your star, star players. And I, I, it just really helps. So if Kaepernick had won the Super Bowl last year, things would be different. I'm not sure. You know, Roger Goodell has a different type of a, the way that he handles different things. And, you know, the different CEOs of the NFL, a lot of times they're very conservative. You look at their history and see, even this past election, how many of them were Trump supporters, how, much, how right. many of them donated to the Trump campaign. There's like a list of about eight to ten of them. That's just the way that it kind of works. You know, when I was playing with the Washington Wizards and I spoke out against the, the invasion of Iraq, it just so happened that A. Poland, who was the CEO of the Wizards, was actually a Democrat and a liberal, liberal, and his son was actually at one of the rallies that I spoke at. It just happened mm. that. But it easily could have been the opposite, where he could have been a staunch Republican and agreed with George W. Bush and the invasion and had a completely different reaction. So it kind of depends on what side of the fence the head person is of the different organization. You mentioned speaking out against the Iraq war. What was your tipping point? 
be honest with you, I didn't really think it all the way through because it, it you know, it, <laughs> because when I first started reading about it and hear about it, really the only people that really spoke about it publicly was like the Dixie Chicks and Michael Moore and, and me. You know what I mean? Nobody was really speaking publicly about it. Mm-hmm. And because the way that they presented it was that this is the only option and they connected it to 9-11 and you have no choice. This is what we have to do as Americans. And if you don't, it's like you're against America. And so I started looking. I was like, wait a minute. There's no connection. To you know, I started connecting the dots. You know, after a while, even Republicans like, okay, wait a minute, something doesn't look right with here. I don't know why we are going in here. But at first, everybody kind of bought on. So I was speaking at different open mic sessions and different small rallies around DC, and the rallies kind of grew more and more. So it just so happened that I spoke at a big rally right on the mall, thousands of people, and I was one of the speakers right before Cornell West, and you know what I mean, all these different people and. It just went viral. So the reaction from that was kind of both ways. And I'm, I'm playing for Washington, the Washington Wizards in D.C. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And yeah. so some people loved it. Some people really, really hated it. What was the reaction from your teammates? The teammates were discussing everything. You know, a lot of guys, and this is what I always told people, conversations in the locker room are just like conversations in, in real life. When something big happens, guys are talking about it. Now, guys might not say anything publicly, but they were talking about it. And a lot of people heard about what I did and what I said, and we had discussions about it. Mm -hmm. What does it say, Ethan, about the state of civil rights when in the NFL you have high-profile players that have been convicted of domestic abuse, drug Mm -hmm. offenses, and other crimes, and yet they continue to play? But Kaepernick's stand on civil rights can lead to unemployment and such backlash. Right. It's really hypocritical of them to try to blackball Kaepernick, who has done nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He broke no rules, no laws, no anything like that. He exercised his right to freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is people are as encouraging of athletes to use their voices until they say something that they don't agree with. And then everything changes. And then they're like, okay, you need to just be quiet. You know, this is bad for the league. This is bad for this. And it's like, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's kind of hypocritical for you just to want athletes to speak out on something that you're on board with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think he will come back, Colin Kaepernick? To play in the NFL, or is his career pretty much done at this point? I mean, I hope he does. To be honest with you, I hope I'm, I'm still holding out hope that he does. You know, maybe sometime during the season, or it's ridiculous if you really follow football and you see, and I'm not going to name anybody by name, but you see some of the guys, the, the quarterbacks that are being signed before him. And it's like, you know, you're signing people, bringing them out of retirement, people who like don't even want to play football. You and practically like, named him. Okay, but, right, but, but, I'm, but I'm just saying, though, you you know, when, when you look at the, the way that, that football goes, the injuries and things that happen, I don't see how possible that nobody is going to call Kaepernick sometime this season. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if now the solid that we started seeing in preseason is to help Colin Kaepernick or to help uh, the next one that will take a stand. You know what I'm saying? Well, definitely, because what it does is it sends a message. It sends a message that if you do speak out, you will get Colin Kaepernick. You know what I mean? And that yeah. was the message in the NBA for a while with Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf and Craig Hodges. Mm-hmm. If you do speak out, you will get done like they are. And I even heard that when I was speaking, I was like, hey, you got to be careful. You, don't, you remember what happened to Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf? You know, remember what happened to Craig Hodges? And I interviewed John Carlos. One of the things that he said was that people will use fear to try to silence you. Right, yeah. And that's the thing, that's the beauty of this generation. They don't really seem to be as fearful as the generation before. 
and they understand that there's strength in numbers. There's no shortage of reasons for guys to stand up and speak out. Um, We just had a case just now where this police officer, Greg Abbott, was just fired, but he was caught on video saying we only kill black people. Like, that's what he said on the video. He is a police officer. This just happened, like, you know, yesterday. Right. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Now he's fired, but then you have a person who actually killed an unarmed black person, and he's not fired. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there's a lot of things that are going to continuously happen. One of the things that I I did with the book was I interviewed children of the victims of police violence. So I interviewed the the daughter of of Eric Gardner, um, Mm -hmm. the brother of Trayvon Martin the sister of uh, Philando Castile. And I talked to them about how much it means for athletes to speak out on their behalf. Right. And they said, you know, honestly, and, it, and this really threw me, Javaris Fulton, who was Trevor Martin's brother, he said, honestly, if it weren't for athletes, nobody would have heard of my brother. He's mm-hmm. like, because none of the stations wanted to cover it. Incredible. He's like, we were trying to get the story out about what happened to him for a while. And then he said, Dwayne Wade and LeBron wore the hoodies and everything like that. Then the story went viral all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow. I mean, but that's the power that athletes have. That's one of the reasons why I wrote this book to really encourage younger athletes to continue to use their voice because you're hearing directly from the people who have been the victims of police violence how much it affects them, how much it appreciates them, and how much it really just helps them fight their cause. And does the diversity and the support that athletes are getting, for example, Kaepernick is getting support from black and white players and from police officers, is that the hope? Is that what's going to perhaps get us over this very deep hump that we're in? I mean, it is so important for white athletes to join in. Uh, there's no, I can't say it enough. I mean, you right. started to having a few join in. Aaron Rodgers just made a few statements saying that he was in solidarity, you know, and, and, and that's great. But you have to have that because unfortunately, yeah. and this is just the reality, and, and it happened in the, in the 60s when Dr. King was marching, they had to have white people come and march with them in order for it to work. Right. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, you just, and it's, it's good to see. Things are so bad right now. I mean, we just had the Ku Klux Klan, neo-Nazis, Confederates rally in Charlottesville. And it's like, are we living in a different decade? You know, know. are we back in the 50s and 60s? But these are the times that we're in. And honestly, we need everybody to speak out. And in 20 or 30 years, do we remember Colin Kaepernick as an activist? Of course. or, or, Or as an athlete first? Both. Both. And that's the thing. You can be both. I mean, the athletes that I admired were the athletes that's, that used their positions and their platforms. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was such an honor to be able to interview Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell for this book yeah, and I'm Oscar sure. Robertson. Those are the athletes that I grew up reading about. Yeah. You know what I mean? And But th- that's the beauty of being an athlete. You have a voice. You have access to the media. You have access to different. And now with social media, I mean, we didn't have social media when I was playing. Social media is kind of new. You know, relative. I retired in 2011. But they now LeBron has like as many followers as Trump. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could really you get power. a message out by just clicking something and millions of people will see it. And that's power. Mm-hmm. And, and athletes are, are realizing that power, even at the college and high school level. So it's beautiful to see. Etan Thomas's 12-year-old son, Malcolm Thomas, shared his Kaepernick-inspired poem with us. Malcolm, why don't you tell us why you wanted to write it? What inspired you to write it? Okay, so um, right now there's a lot going on um, that my dad has shown me. And it that, like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee um, during the National Anthem and 
Black Lives Matter, everything. It just motivated me to write about him because he's being blackballed right now. Right. I think that it's not fair that he's being blackballed and people should know about it. Right. So I thought that this was a good way, like, that I could um, help tell. Colin Kaepernick. He's carrying on a tradition of athletes taking a stand for what they believed is right who have gone through the thought of losing their jobs just to stand up to the fight. People like Muhammad Ali, John Carlos, Tommy Smith, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, Craig Hodges, and many others stood up, even if it meant taking a few of the commentators' bites. Criticizers. Haters. Who want to create a negative association because they disagree with the overall presentation of his message. So during the national anthem, he took a knee. That represented the captivity of brown and black people in this so-called land of the free, where our veterans fought so we would have the right to be the home of the brave. Or so they say. Oh, say, can you see? They tried to say he was disrespecting the military. But if they really cared about their well-being, we wouldn't have so many homeless veterans unable to get medical treatment for their post-traumatic states. We wouldn't have veterans sleeping on sidewalks and under bridges, unable to get jobs or put food on their families' plates. With all their stand and take off your hats to honor those that served in the military during the games, but when they come back from wars, actually fighting for the United States, they kick them to the curb, push them out like trash cans on garbage day. But they didn't like Kaepernick taking a knee to call foul on their play, so they attacked his character and ridiculed and mocked chastised and criticized, pointed fingers and talked, said he was anti-American, using the television to try to tear him down because he called out what wasn't right. They all for athletes using their voices until they say something that they don't like. Mm Mm-hmm. Hypocrites. I see them same exact media people that bring my daddy onto their shows to try to get him to criticize current athletes, saying, where are the modern-day Muhammad Ali's and Jim Browns today? But as soon as uh, Colin Kaepernick talks about racism and police brutality, they want to tell him to shut up and play. Hypocrites, I tell you. Much respect to Colin Kaepernick. Posing with a Black Panther fro with a pick in it. He talked of injustice that was everywhere as far as the eyes can see. He refused to be forced to choose between one bad and one worse presidential people. He said both choices sucked. The lesser of two evils wasn't good enough options to work with. They were straight cheating the people, like AAU tournaments. So now, the NFL is trying to blackball him, keep him from playing, saying he's a negative influence and a distraction from the rest of the team is what they are claiming. They say he's a bad person, as if Dan Snyder is a model citizen for his Washington football team organization, using a racist name that he know good and well is offensive to Native Americans. Y'all got rapists, murderers, and wife beaters that y'all suit up with no hesitation. Repeated domestic violence offenders that y'all give standing ovations. But y'all have the nerve to let it come out your mouth that Kaepernick is the one that's bad for your NFL organization? Y'all a bunch of hypocrites. My man Kaepernick donated 60 tons of food to Somalia. Just gave $50,000 to Meals on Wheels. He holds Know Your Rights camps for youth in different cities, teaching them the real deal. He gave money to Standing Rock. He wanted the Dakota pipeline that was going to desecrate their sacred land, destroy their water supply, and even further end their lives to stop. 
He stood outside a New York City parole office and donated custom-made suits to men who just got out of jail. He getting them ready for job interviews, so y'all don't send them right back in y'all prison cells. And he donated a million dollars to Black Lives Matter. He's doing all of this out of the kindness of his heart, and y'all questioning his character? All this hypocrisy is just too much for me. Maybe my 12-year-old mind just doesn't understand y'all grown-up rationality. But I do know that a real revolutionary can never be stopped. And if they're really black belt Kaepernick from the NFL, we need to not just whisper, not just threaten, but actually boycott. Peace. Malcolm, that was superb. I have no other words for that. Oh, thank you. Ethan Thomas, your book, We Matter, Athletes and Activism, comes out in early 2018. We are anxious to read it, yes. excited to read it. Thank you for sitting with us this morning. And Malcolm, it was a pleasure to hear you as well. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're still there. You're such a good boy. Can I adopt you? <laughs> that's my little guy. And, but that's what it's about, teaching the younger generation. For sure. Exactly. You know? for sure. Ethan Thomas, Malcolm Thomas, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Okay, thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. All right, bless. So we wanted to get another perspective on the conversation around athletes and activism. Like Kaepernick, John Bowman is an American professional football player. But the difference is he plays for the Canadian Football League. Bowman has been a defensive end for the Montreal Alouettes for 13 seasons now. Mm-hmm. He holds the team's record in overall sacks. Yes. So watch out, Isabel. <laughs> I'll be nice. Yeah, be nice or he can sack us. But um, So he joins us at the table. Welcome, John. Oh, thank you guys for having me. So we want to know what's your thought about this whole uh, Colin Kaepernick. Do you have any doubts that he would be signed today if it wasn't for the stand he took? I have no doubt about it. You know, uh, he's better than 50% of the starting quarterbacks. And I'm a Jets fan. I grew up in New York. (laughs) He's better than every quarterback we have on the roster. Yeah, tell us, John, what are players here in Canada saying in the locker room? We've had heated discussions about it because you're either on the side of this guy's protesting to speak for the voices of one-third of the U.S. population that don't have a voice, mm-hmm. or you're saying this guy should keep his mouth shut, just accept the fact that he's in the NFL, and just go along with the with mm-hmm. what everybody else is doing. Like, either you're with him or you're against him. What Colin Kaepernick is doing for... And he's not even 100% black. He's biracial. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but in the eyes of cops, he's 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 black. black. It it makes no no difference. So for the things he's doing and the things he's standing up for, I give him 100% of my praise because I wouldn't think I would ever have to see it. But to have to see it and to to be from a guy who went to UNLV and and played (laughs) in San Francisco, to see him doing it and not other prominent 100% African-American guys Mm -hmm. who should be doing it, to see him doing it. And and the CFL had planned um, to release a T-shirt in the fall, a T-shirt that says Diversity is Strength. Mm -hmm. It's a T-shirt that was... Um, it's a campaign, actually, to celebrate uh, the Canada's 150th anniversary. And the league decided to release it sooner, right after the Charlottesville event. You, at one point, wore a Black Lives Matter t-shirt mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. What type of reaction did you get from your colleagues? What type of reaction did you get from the press or reaction from fans? When we first thought about the idea, we were like, listen, we're Americans. We live in Canada. We mm-hmm. got to show our American people that we still pay attention to what's going on 
And even though our voice isn't as big as NFL, NBA, all of these guys making millions of dollars, our voice isn't as loud as theirs. We still want to let them know that we're here with them also. We want to make a little stand for them. But our coaches was all for it. The local media guys that, that, that followed the Alouettes, they were all for it. Everybody took it, and they said what a great thing they did. And there's a lot of things going on in Canada that's a little uh, racially tinged, you know, mm-hmm. with the stuff, the shootings that happened here in Montreal, the things that's happened in Toronto over the last few years. Uh, the Black Lives Matter isn't an American thing. It's a global thing. But let me ask you this question, John Bowman. Is everything going on right now making you not want to take a stand as an athlete? Is that the message that will be coming across to all of you athletes that you should just shut up and play your sport? Before you make a stand, you have to weigh the pros and cons. You know, it's going to be a million people saying, yeah, right on, we appreciate you. And it's going to be 150 million saying, what is this football player doing talking? You know, just play football. What people who don't realize, like when you play sports, you have to do well in school. Yep. So we're as educated as everybody else. Yep. I have my degree in business, so I, I feel like I can talk. Oh, I have I, questions for you then. <laughs> <laughs> Not only do I pay my taxes in America, I pay my taxes in Canada. Oh, I have more questions <laughs> for you. <laughs> and th- the thing with Colin Kaepernick is, Everybody's saying he should just shut up, stand up, and and just don't have a voice. This guy has probably paid more taxes than 98% of people in California. You can't tell a man who's paying more taxes than the money you make to shut up and not have a voice. I love what you're saying. And and how can you reconcile that some players or wife beaters have been accused of sexual assault, but they'll be suited up next Sunday, no matter what? It's sad to think that you'd accept somebody with open arms that beat a woman, yep. that take drugs, get get multiple drug violations, yep. and they get four, fifth, six chances. <laughs> but you can't sit down for a song that doesn't represent a third of your population. That's that's crazy. That's beyond unfathomable. That you're actually you know putting into place the First Amendment, and you're being you're, exactly. It's my right to protest. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it frustrating to be because you're American playing for a Canadian? team watching everything that's going on over there and sort of having to see it from the sidelines more than to be part of it? I mean, I'm trying to say this without sounding bad. It's frustrating, but it's a relief too. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Living in Canada, I've been spoiled with not having to deal with (laughs) as much stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. Up here, I have to just deal with the fact that I'm Anglophone, you know. <laughs> That's in Quebec. Yeah, just in Montreal. And uh, back home, when I talk to guys, I mean, people aren't getting fired. People aren't uh, losing their homes or losing their vehicles. It's just they can feel more tension. Like mm-hmm. back back in the day when I was growing up, you had your basic separatism, whatever. I stayed here. My my white football friends stayed here. The the rich Caucasian people stay here. I mean, that was just segregation. That was just that's just thing. But it wasn't segregated. But that's just socialism. Mm-hmm. That's the way we lived. But now, like my guys who stay in North Carolina are saying, like it's getting more and more upfront. Before, where we only separate. Now they're saying, hey, you shouldn't be here. This isn't your side of town. Go on your side of town. That kind of thing. Mm. So it's, it's becoming more of a underwave, and it's becoming more to the forefront. 
Wow. Thank you very much. Thank you for that. Super interesting. Thank you. Thank you, John. Appreciate you guys having me. That was Montreal Alouette's defensive end, John Bowman. We want your thoughts on the Colin Kaepernick situation. Email us at seat at cbc.ca. Up next, just what is Canadian food anyway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is it? Hello, poutine. <laughs> Celebrity chef Chuck Hughes joins us at the table. Our show is called Seat at the Table, and we treat our guests as if they're having a meal uh, with us every time they have a discussion. So we thought it would be fitting to have as our last show. Oh, last show. Our guest <laughs> to be a chef. Hmm. So welcome, Chuck Hughes. Thank you for having me. For the food is delicious, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know who Chuck Hughes is, he's the celebrated chef behind Montreal's Garde Manger and Le Bremner. He's known around the world for TV shows like Chuck's Day Off and most recently, Chuck and Danny's road trip where he and fellow chef Danny Smiles packed up an RV and mm. set out to eat their way across Canada, i.e. a dream job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His latest show, Le Monde Selon Chuck, or Chuck's World, has him eating across four continents. So, Chuck, what is it about sharing a meal with someone that makes it so intimate? I'm thinking about my one-year-old. You know, right now he has no idea what's going on in the world, but he knows food. And he knows when I show him a blueberry, his eyes light up. And, you know, that's definitely one of the first forms of communication, I would say, in terms of any human being. And and for my family and me, it's always a happy thing. (laughs) Food is always a celebration. You know, even though it's just dinner at night, it's time to spend a little bit of time together. I know that's lost a little bit in this world sometimes because everything goes by so fast. But we try and... Uh, and keep that alive at my home, even though my kids are very young, and, and just try and keep that tradition. But how old are they? Uh, one's four, and the other one's one. So you know they're still very young. But but that you know making food together, building a dish, sitting down and eating what we've made is really a big part of. And and then you think of what did I know when I was thirteen of let's say Japan? Mm. You know I knew sushi. You know yeah. is is it? It's pretty one-dimensional, but it's the first thing that you know. What do about I know about country. Mexico? Be- right. Before I went to Mexico, what did I know? Tacos! You know? Yeah. And so whether they were authentic or not doesn't matter. The fact is, is yeah. a lot of times that's how we relate to, to people, to places. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, really, the it's it's one of the most important things. What should foreigners know about Canadian food? And that's, you know, with on the road trip, that was yeah. the... And people ask me all the time, you know, what's Canadian food? And I, and I have about 28 answers and I struggle with, with every one. You know, mm-hmm. I think, first of all, it's, it's regional. Canada is a huge, vast, uh, amazing country, especially in terms of uh, food and ingredients, mm-hmm. you know, from the West Coast, you know, w- the prairies, we don't talk about much, but man, that's where all of it comes from. You know, a lot of it comes from, but, yeah. you know, from from uh, shellfish and PEI to, you know, salmon, halibut and crab in, in Vancouver to, to anywhere in between to like moose in Newfoundland. It's once again, you kind of open the can of worms and it's hard to really define. But I think we're defined by our ingredients. We're defined by our seasons. You know, one of the great countries that truly has four seasons. What about the world now? Because the you world, have yeah. Chuck's world. 
where you went around in different countries, Iceland. Yeah, I think I did 13 countries in like five months or something. I went from Jordan to Japan to Iceland to to Cuba. It was my first, I think I'm one of the first Quebecers ever that hadn't been to Cuba. (laughs) And, and, you know, I was always like, ah, you know, and and one of my favorite places, you know, one of of the people are absolutely fantastic. You know, when you have nothing and Mm. you make do with so little, but yet... You're still really happy yeah. and a nice person. It boggles my mind. Yeah. And you know? Cuban Cuban food is delicious. Cuban food, when you can find food, yeah. it's good. It's, <laughs> but, but, but that's the reality, yeah. and yeah. that's that's the reality. That's the reality. It's like there's just that you know. A lot of times people will say, ah, "We went to Cuba. The food was okay." It's like, dude, they have no food. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not because they don't want to make good food. They literally have no food. Everything is rationed. Everything is right. calculated. Everything you need a a paper, a government issue paper for eggs, for milk, for mm. so you get a certain amount of money, and then you get a certain amount of ingredients. If you run out of eggs by week two, and you only get twenty four a month or whatever, you, you know no, no you, you're 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 eating something else. You know, I had a an ideal or a way of thinking, and and I went there, and it changed me completely. And then when you eat what the locals eat, you know, they'll get. Uh, a piece of bread and they'll literally put like pork fat because mm-hmm. th- there's no pork meat but man I'm telling you it's amazing <laughs> with a little bit of vinegar yeah. hot sauce pork mm-hmm. fat and a really good spongy kind of you know uh, white bread almost mm-hmm. I'm telling you you have a bite and, and they're a little bit embarrassed sometimes because they're like man you know I wish we had more And but being there and living a little bit like the locals you realize Man, this is they have to fight for almost every meal. So it's a Still, it's yeah. a different vision of of what a lot of people maybe see in Cuba mm-hmm. and uh but nonetheless amazing people and that's you know, I have everything in life and sometimes I'm a real ass. You know? I'm like when you I You said see, it and we did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I can see that you're you guys are getting the vibe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like it's it's just so, one of those things. I'm like, man, these people are some of the nicest, most generous. Like, come to my house and have a coffee. They don't have much coffee. It means a lot. It means a lot to yeah. invite yeah. somebody, and they're very generous and and personable. So, Jordan, I was expecting something completely different, super modern, very open. Uh, didn't feel like I was anywhere different than a big city, a major big city. You know. Mm-hmm. Except maybe the falafel was better than anywhere else. <laughs> but besides that, I mean, there's obviously differences and intricacies. It's a, like you said, you know, it's a, it's a job and it's a good job. It's not always easy. You know, sometimes it's when you go from uh, Jordan to Lithuania to Turkey in like you have three weeks on the road. By the end, you know, you, you, you start to miss the the comforts of your home, your family. Sure. Your, Putsin. Putsin especially. <laughs> that's, you know, I always have a little bit with me. I never leave home without it. But see, that's the one thing that, that I would say that's... would not define uh, Canadian food. Unfortunately, I get it asked a lot. Everywhere I go. So like, for you, it does not define Canadian food. Well, I mean, first of all, it's from it's a staple. It's, okay? a, it's, it's a Quebec. A Quebec. <laughs> it's a Quebec thing, first yeah. of all. But but then okay, whatever. Let's take it. Let's take it generally. Like okay, yeah. whatever. Now everybody does it. It's great. It's blah blah blah. But the the point that was missed is that this was. Uh, like four in the morning, bad decision. <laughs> never a delicacy. No, never, no. never something that should be uh, <laughs> defining in terms of our food. So, yeah. uh, uh, too many drunk people got too excited about <laughs> their <laughs> bad decisions, and and uh, 
And look, I'm I was part of the problem for a long time. You know what I mean? Uh, but I think it's time to move forward, even though, even though. It's fantastic, right? And, and you know, I, like everybody else, once a year you need you need to have one, and it needs to be the true original from a can. Yeah, you know, you know, brown sauce from a can with I, I, cheese curds. I never, you never want to mess up on that. Mm, you, no, you gotta, no. <laughs> and unfortunately, for the rest of Canada that's listening, guys, we love you, but you cheese curds are just not the same as as here in Quebec. And like, sure. if you can go to like Quetzcook or or anywhere a little bit outside <laughs> of the Montreal Center, man. We oh. do it right here. Yeah, we do. We do. It's got to have that squeak, that salt. It's it's very I'm getting technical. Hungry. I know Stop it's very it. technical. But you traveled a lot, but your restaurant, your food, your appeal is also international. I I I was traveling to Brazil not long ago, a few years ago, and I saw your show in Portuguese, one of your shows in Portuguese. And oh, so, God. Yes. Where I speak God. where I speak Portuguese. 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 Yes. My so, favorite yeah. word in Portuguese and and I say it on the show it's but I don't say it but whoever <laughs> the translator is is Gugmalush, which is mushroom. There you go. Gugmalush. Oh. Uh, I love it. I, I, but yeah, it's funny to see yourself uh, speak another language that you don't speak. Mm. I mean, I've worked in Portuguese restaurants. I worked at Tapeo for a long time. Yeah, back when oh, it was just place. really a, a small. Yeah, yeah, it's a restaurant in Montreal. And I worked there for um, maybe a year and a half, and uh, everybody was Portuguese. I used to get yelled at. <laughs> I used to get yelled at Portuguese. I loved it. Mm. Do you find, Chuck, that as a people, Canadians have become more refined in their love of food and what they want out of food? A hundred percent. And, and I've, there's positive and negative. You know, to me, I think in the past 10, 15 years, there's this knowledge of food and yeah. there's this craze of food TV and, and, and knowing what we eat and where food comes from, which is amazing on one end. But then on another end, I find there's a lot of places in the world where food is not some Instagrammable, super upper crust elite. Uh, there's too much parsley. Mm -hmm. uh, it's become like a pastime. Let's go eat. Right. Like, hmm. When you travel the world a little bit and you realize like, man, you know, Mexico, half of the country doesn't have running water. You know, mm -hmm. like, they just don't. In rural Mexico, they, they reuse everything. And in kitchens here in Montreal, all we do is waste water. Okay. So right. you're more sensitive to I'm a little bit more sensitive to world. it. To waste. Yeah, yeah, I, I used to cook in my box. Mm. I used to cook in my box, like, for the longest mm. time, not even seeing what's going on around me, but just cooking, being super involved. And, like, oh, table two says there's too much salt. Well, it's the end of the world, and I got to <laughs> rectify. And you know what? Then oh, I realized, okay. like, table two, like, no offense, they're great people, but it's, like, disposable income. They're doing this because they want the picture. And And this and that, which is great. But when you travel the world and you see, like, what's going on in food oh. elsewhere, it's like we forget that we need to eat to survive right. and that everybody does it. You You're know? so, so right. when I come back sometimes and I'm like, I'm like, okay, man, like, you didn't like the, the zucchini, you know, like, Tough rah, luck. you know, yeah. like, you'll get, you know, you'll get over it and, yeah. and we'll move on. So I, I don't want to depreciate or, or undermine because, you know, it's still what I love to do and it's still my mm -hmm. business and I love cooking. But now it's framed in a but completely I, I, but different... But I see it a little bit in yeah. a different way and yeah. like, so... Chuck, uh, as a celebrity chef, you've also been asked in the last couple of years to cater to superstars. Mm -hmm. When one goes to your restaurant. Is it a good thing or are they difficult clients? I'm thinking of Christina Aguilera that was there recently at the Le Bremner. Uh, do, do they make for good publicity for you guys or not really? Yes and no. You know, there are people like everybody else. 
And in a sense, but they have millions following them. They on have Instagram. millions following them on Instagram. They have millions, but they also get always the best of the best. And I feel right. like people always try and cater to them. Jeanette from La Valtrie, or like somebody that's from Sudbury that's been waiting three months to come, and it's her anniversary, and she comes to Guard or Bremner. To me, is. 10 times more important because mm-hmm. this woman has been waiting for this, wants to be here, probably doesn't get VIP access, probably doesn't have mm-hmm. millions of people always wanting her, oh, come mm-hmm. here, and we love you. So to me, I like that person and, and hopefully she's going to enjoy this evening as opposed to a lot of people that get a lot of everything whenever they want. We had an incident like years, years ago where uh, J-Lo's manager called us and she's like, well, we want to take the restaurant tonight. We'll be 50 people. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but we have reservations. She's like, well, I mean, you didn't hear me. It was J-Lo, <laughs> like Jennifer Lopez. I'm like, mm, I know, but like my restaurant's full, you know? Like, yeah. But that's the type of, yeah. and I'm not saying across the board, and J-Lo probably doesn't even know about this. Right. You know, yeah. it's a lot of times it's management and yeah. publicists. Because I feel like the big, big stars, the real A-listers, they don't need to act. Mm. Mick Jagger, one of the coolest dudes that ever walked in that restaurant. Yes, he had heavy security. Yes, and then that. Yes, but just... Regular guy almost, you know, right. as much as he's not, cops came sweeping, everybody <laughs> like did the whole thing. The whole day was a fiasco, you know what I mean? But him, just a normal guy, like just mm. there, happy to eat. I personally, I like I like the people that don't get a chance and that don't necessarily get the best of it, the best all the time. And Tell me, Chuck, what trends bother you? Ooh, every last one. When Kale became famous again, it's like, ugh. Oh, you know, please. like, Kale was always good. It's always going to be good. Cauliflower is dope. Why are uh, people just discovering you know? avocados? Can you explain <laughs> that to me? Well, avocado toast. Like this, please. My goodness. Somebody, Can somebody jump off out? a bridge with the avocado toast. I cannot. If I see it, well. It's good. I know it's good, but does it need to be Everywhere. 32 posts <laughs> oh on your, your, you know, like, like after a couple times, like. It's avocado, it's people. It's not penicillin in the yeah. 1920s. Relax. Exactly. So I, I kind of. I like to stay away from it. My restaurant, you know, Garde Manger is 11 years old this year. And well uh, we do stuff the way we did back then. Personally, for food, you know, evolution is not always the best thing. You know, there are certain things that you can't change with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, a carrot doesn't care who you are. Right. An egg is still going to take 45 seconds. To braise a piece of pork in a good broth with vegetables for mm-hmm. four hours is going to be 10 times better than any powder, gel, right. mousse, foam. It's just not something that you bite into and you're like, mm, reminds you of a memory or, or a taste that's so delicious and amazing. When you cut corners... You can tell in food, like you can't. So personally for me, evolution of food is we should go backwards. We know it. And and a lot of of the world right now, we know we've gone too far. Mm -hmm. The environment is suffering. It's like uh, global warming, all that stuff, you know, uh, that we eat beef like six times a day. Like, dude, no. Uh, We started the show, the first show of the season by saying which would be our last meal. Like I said it would be pizza. Martine had a long list of 50 uh, meals. <laughs> yes. So my last meal would include torchon de foie gras, guinefowl, cherry tomatoes, pot frites, grilled conch or grilled octopus, and jonjon rice. And I would throw in some lipitor at the end. <laughs> it was a real last meal. So yes. what would be your last meal, Chuck Hughes? Oh, my last meal. Look, it's... Um, <clears throat> 
It's a tough question. Pizza is way up there for me. My birthday is on December 31st. So every year, my girl asks me, so what's this year? <laughs> Last year was pizza. So I ate pizza all year. Yes, sir. I didn't eat anything else. I didn't waste my time with anything else. Pizza. I said, don't <laughs> ask me. So what do you feel like eating? Girl, don't ask me. You know it's pizza. If you have something else in mind, that's your problem. But don't ask me. All year, don't ask me once what I want to eat. It's pizza. Um, but that being said, this year, uh, it's an old classic and it's a favorite of mine. And not everybody gets to, uh, to try this, but it's available to everybody if you go to Prince Edward Island. And that's a place where I'm going actually very soon. Um, I'm doing a couple events there in Prince Edward Island, so check that out if you want. Yes. But what I discovered in Prince Edward Island, and you know, you asked me about Canadian food and and potatoes, what it means. potatoes close. It's one of the best. Potatoes still to me is the best vegetable alive. When people ask me what's the next trend, it's always been potatoes. It will always be <laughs> potatoes. Think about it. So check what is you're it? like. Wow, um, bar clams. So basically, clams. Big, 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 big clams. They dig them up, and what they do, they steam them, they chop them up, and they put them in their own liquid into a mason jar. And this you can buy on eBay, on weirdly eBay? enough. You can find it online. And it's good. It is the essence of life. It is the most beautiful <laughs> thing that you'll ever eat in your life. You can buy them commercially produced, uh -huh. where it's basically just clams in their own juice. It's not comparable to anything, but you make a clam pasta with this. And I guarantee you, it's the most simple thing. That, pasta, touch of butter. What do you drink it with? What are you drinking on your last Ooh, meal? It's going to have to be coffee. I'm a coffee What? freak. Yeah. And, and I don't drink 10 years now yeah, sober. Yeah, I know. Well done. So no drinking at all. But, uh, you know, sparkling water when I party hard. <laughs> I like to pop a couple bottles of sparkling water. <laughs> You're just like but, those rock stars. But in general, black coffee. Oh, man. That's my favorite thing on earth. Nice. Rapid fire check use. Name your favorite restaurant Burger in, King. in the following city. Quebec City. Quebec City, La Fare Ketchup. Okay, all right. In Ottawa. Probably a toss-up between Whalesbone and Whalesbone. <laughs> oh, Supply and Demand, Ottawa. Whalesbone and Supply and Demand. Vancouver. Oh, Vancouver, Phnom Penh. Okay, Calgary. Calgary, I'm going to say Model Milk. And Charcut. Toronto? Oh, T-Dot. It's hard. <laughs> Toronto is crushing it. Yes. Like, honestly, Toronto. I'm going to have to say number one, Bar Isabel. Bar Isabel. And I love the name of it, too. Yeah, Bar Isabel, <laughs> I, yeah. I, it's so great. P.E.I. Ah, P.E.I. Well, P.E.I., you know, there's a lot of great restaurants, but P.E.I. is one of the most beautiful places in Canada where you have to eat at somebody's house. So befriend, befriend <laughs> an islander, which is... Very easy. They actually won't leave you alone. Say, come over, come over, come over. And you're like, no, no, we have. No, 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 no. My uncle's gonna get us lobster. I got oysters and potatoes are everywhere. Like they're literally on the side of the streets everywhere. So you gotta eat at somebody's house. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, you have to. St. John's. St. John's. Probably Merchant Tavern, Mallard Cottage, and if you're really, really adventurous. Bonavista, which is about four hours away. Yeah. Bonavista Social Club. Now, how cool is that <laughs> name? How cool is that name? Almost sounds like a band. Oh, yeah. wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> I mean, everything top notch. And what about in Halifax? Halifax, I don't go to enough. 
there used to be one of my favorite restaurants there. It doesn't exist anymore, Fit Kitchen. But uh, you can look him up on Instagram, and he still cooks and does pop-ups and stuff like that. Love it. Thank yeah. you, Chuck Hughes. Thank you, Chuck Cheers, Hughes. guys. Thank you. Much success to you. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this week's show. Seat at the Table is produced by Alan Johnson and Melissa Fundura, with technical work by Melanie Vien and Patrick Gingras. Stay in touch with us on Facebook at CBC Seat at the Table or tweet us using the hashtag SeatCBC. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to review us. Seat at the Table is a CBC original podcast. And to hear more shows, visit cbc.ca slash original podcasts. This was our last episode of the summer. Thank you for having spent part of it with us. Thank you also for the support via tweets, Facebook messages, and once even via a handwritten note. We have read every single one of you and have appreciated your feedback. Thank you also for your constructive criticism. Some of you have shared your experiences with us to enrich some of our opinions, and that too has been appreciated. You have forced us to dig deeper and to think more broadly. And you know what's great, Martine, is that even after debating for 10 episodes, we're still friends. Are we still friends? Oh, come on. <laughs> It was an honor to spend the summer with you. Thanks for pulling up a chair each week and joining us at the table. So until next time, I'm Isabelle Rascot. And I'm Martine Saint-Victor. Au, Au revoir. revoir. Well, we get that answer and much more from celebrities, chef. The chef? Chef. Che Guevara? Chef. Chef. Shut up. So until next time, I'm Isabelle Rascot. And I'm Martine Saint-Victor. Au revoir. Oh, oh sorry. Sin! Out of sync. It's <laughs> because you, you gave me no time. Just go until I'm Martine. Just do I'm Isabelle Rascot. Go. Until next time, I'm Isabelle Rascot. And I'm Martin Saint-Victor. Au revoir! <laughs> hey, I, like, je peux pas plus donner des... Jesus, how hard is this? I, I don't know. know! So, until next time, I'm Isabelle Racico. And I'm Martin Saint-Victor. Au, Au revoir! revoir. All right, go. I don't think she wants to go. <laughs> Jesus. Merci pour l'analyse. Vas-y. So, until next time, I'm Isabelle Rascot. And I'm Martine Saint-Victor. Au, Au revoir. revoir. Jeez. Now I have a headache. Happy? <laughs> For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.